Welcome to Health Now from WebMD. I'm your host, Carrie Gann, and today we're talking about what the coronavirus pandemic means for people with another major medical concern, pregnancy. Usually pregnancy is a time to be hyper aware of your health. You're thinking more than ever about keeping your body safe and healthy. You may be getting more medical care than you've ever had before too. But being pregnant in the middle of a global pandemic takes that awareness to a whole other level. COVID-19 has seriously shifted the way many pregnant women thought they would deliver their babies. If you're pregnant now or someone you care about is, you probably have many questions about how the virus will change the birth of your baby, your prenatal care, and even the early days of caring for a newborn. And that's the situation our guest, Dr. Neha Pathak, finds herself in. She's WebMD's medical editor, and she's set to have a baby in a few weeks. Today, she's joining us to talk about how the coronavirus is impacting pregnancy and new parents, and what to do when things just can't go the way you'd planned. Dr. Pathak, welcome to Health Now. Hi, Carrie. Thanks for having me. And how are you feeling? I'm sure you never really expected to be pregnant or have to give birth <laughs> during the middle of a pandemic. That was not something you probably anticipated going through. <laughs> you are right about that. No, I certainly did not. Um, this takes kind of not sticking to your birth plan or being flexible around your birth plan to a whole nother level. So yes, it's, it's definitely something we did not prepare for. Right. <laughs> yeah, flexibility, I'm sure. That's a good word for it. It's key. <laughs> yes. Well, I want to start by asking you the question that is probably on every pregnant woman's mind. Is it safe to go to a hospital to give birth right now? Yeah, this is a great question. I think the most important thing, the two big factors that go into kind of thinking about this is one, where you live. So to see if, if this is a big concern in your local region. And then I think the other piece of it is just to see, depending on what they're seeing, a lot of hospitals are doing whatever they can proactively to protect their pregnant patients and newborns. Okay. And that might be anything from, you know, making sure the labor and delivery ward is separate from any COVID-19 care or limiting visitors. I mean, what are the kinds of things that people might anticipate? Yeah. So another great question. So the situation is super fluid and it really depends. So I spoke with my OB's office yesterday to try to figure out what the hospital situation was going to be like for my delivery. And they said, and I'm basically about a month and a half away. And they said, really, it's so fluid that we don't know what we're going to change when it comes to that time. But oh, wow. right now, yeah, so what we know right now is that in some places, visitors are being strictly limited. So a lot of hospitals are saying just your birth partner is allowed. They are screening the pregnant person and their partner before they come into the hospital for symptoms. If the pregnant person is positive for COVID, a lot of hospitals have at least tried to create separate areas on the labor and delivery floor. What is nice about a lot of hospitals these days is labor and delivery is kind of separate from the main, the bulk of the other hospitalizations. So you are probably going to be separate from a lot of the COVID-19 floors, but within the labor and delivery floor, they're separating sections for COVID-19 positive pregnant women and those that don't have it. 
So are all pregnant women likely to get tested for COVID-19 before they give birth, or would it only be if you had you know, a fever or some of the more obvious symptoms? Yeah, so actually there were some recommendations that just came out from some recent research or recent findings, particularly from New York State, where they're obviously having a huge sort of outbreak right now. And their recommendation is really they found so many pregnant patients as asymptomatic carriers or very mildly symptomatic that they thought that it would be a good recommendation to test every woman that's coming in and going to be um, admitted to the hospital for her delivery to test for COVID-19 so that healthcare providers can wear the right protective equipment and provide the right personal protective equipment to the pregnant person as well. You know, we have recommendations now for the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, ACOG, which essentially is saying that pregnant women should be screened 24 to 48 hours before they come in to deliver for symptoms like fever, cough, shortness of breath. And certainly when they come to the hospital to be admitted, um, they should be screened along with their birth partners. But given the fact that there can be so many asymptomatic carriers we're finding or pre-symptomatic people, people that may be carrying the virus but still haven't developed symptoms, this is really a new broader recommendation based on what we're finding in the New York hospitals to consider testing everyone that's coming in for delivery. So that sounds like a, it's a recommendation, but that may not necessarily happen everywhere, though, although it should, I suppose, if it's a, an official recommendation. But is that something, if you're pregnant, you should ask for? I, you know, I'm certainly asking my provider. So I'm coming in for the first time for an appointment actually next Monday. They've rescheduled a lot of my appointments for virtual care appointments. Right. And so I'm coming in to the actual medical facility next Monday and I asked that I be provided a mask. I'm not going to be tested at this time, but I think it's certainly worth asking your obstetrician about whether or not you'll be tested and what the plans will be for your care. And again, because there's such a huge testing sort of shortfall in this country, different regions are doing it differently. So it's really important that you talk to your provider and talk to the hospital to see what the protocol is going to be. So what happens if you do test positive? So if you do test positive, a lot of it is, depends on your symptoms. But certainly, I think what I'm seeing in a lot of hospitals right now is that they're separating women um, in different parts of the floor where there are pregnant patients that do not have COVID and then pregnant patients that do or that have tested positive or are symptomatic and are under surveillance for it. So they're waiting to see if they maybe just had a false negative test, but are highly likely to have it. So that separation is happening. They're also not really allowing women to kind of walk around the floors and do a lot of the activities that Previously, before COVID-19, you would see pregnant women, their partners kind of wandering the halls, things like that. You're not going to see that anymore in hospitals. Other than that, there, uh, the hospital staff will require different types of personal protective equipment if, they're, if you're positive, and you will likely need to be wearing a face mask um, while you're in labor. 
I would imagine that would be kind of difficult, obviously, because, you know, breathing is such an important part of, of being in labor, but, you know, seems like a face mask would kind of make that a little bit of a different experience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it can certainly be somewhat claustrophobic when you're in that situation. And it's going to be more, it's going to be definitely different than what we're used to. So we'll see, we'll have to kind of get more information about how that's going for pregnant women as they deliver. Right. And to your point earlier, um, it seems like, you know, depends on where you're delivering and when it could be that the, the recommendations would change based on on the date and the location. Right. Things are just so fluid right now. The number of cases are different depending on where you live. So all of these things can change depending on whether or not there's a surge in cases where you live when you're delivering. So some women may consider home births or birthing centers so that they can avoid going to a hospital setting where there are more risks since there are more sick people in the hospital. Are those places necessarily any better or safer? What are some of the things to consider when you're making your plans for what your delivery is going to be like? Yeah, this is a great question. I think a lot of women have been looking into the sort of the idea of home birth just because it does seem very scary to go into a hospital at this time. But, you know, there's a lot of considerations around home births too. So number one, uh, if you haven't really been planning or preparing for a home birth, it's probably not the best time to switch to that plan at this point. Home birth is really dependent on having a midwife or a doula or someone that you have a trusting relationship with and you've really gotten to know over the course of your pregnancy, which during this time of social distancing can be really hard to switch in toward the end or toward the middle of your pregnancy. So I would say, first of all, don't think too much about completely shifting your labor plans based on the COVID-19 crisis right now. If you weren't planning for a home birth, this is probably not the time, and you're due in about a month or two months, this is probably not the time to start thinking about it. The other things that you should think about are if you have other health conditions like high blood pressure, diabetes, or um, rheumatologic conditions, you're at higher risk. So it's probably a better idea to be in the hospital for delivery. If you've had a previous C-section or preterm birth, again, that may put you at some risk with your current um, labor. If you are having twins or more than twins, if you're having triplets, again, something to consider really going to the hospital for. And if you, if it doesn't seem like you're going to be able to make it to a hospital in about 15 minutes or less, if there are complications, that's probably also not the best idea for you. The other consideration is really the position of the baby, right? So if you know the baby is head down um, and you're between, you know, you're close to full term, then home birth would be an okay sort of consideration. Just to go back to what you said a minute ago, you would be able to know that the baby was, you know, head down in the right position, I guess, because you would have had 
an ultrasound or you know, some tests that you had to actually go into the hospital for in order to confirm that? Yeah, you know, I am getting close now and I still haven't been able to get that ultrasound to check for for the position of the baby. So I'm planning on getting that next week and I'm, I'm getting pretty close to delivery. So yeah, you know, what we used to be able to tell much earlier because of the change in prenatal care and more remote health visits, you might might not know until later in your pregnancy. Right. Something else to think about. What about a birthing center? I know the birthing centers typically have, you know, the ability to admit somebody to a hospital if there's an emergency situation, but are those considered safe during this time? Um, again, so you want to check with the birthing center to see what their facilities are going to look like, what their expectation for providing care is. If they are, they're really set up to be in communication with local hospitals and things like that. So I think if that was part of your original birth plan and the birthing center is equipped to care for you, then I think it's still fine to move forward with that plan. Now, a lot of that could change if you end up testing positive for COVID-19. You'd really want to talk to your birthing center to see would they be equipped to manage you in that situation or would they recommend that you go to a hospital? And the most likely they would recommend that you would go to a hospital for care at that point. Do you mind sharing what your own plan is for labor and delivery right now? I know, obviously, it's still a little fluid at this point, but do you have anything particularly in mind? Yeah, you know, I think that we are sticking to flexibility. Um, We are. To a certain extent, you always have to be flexible when it comes to childbirth. There's not always, you're not always able to be in control. Exactly. We are planning to have a hospital birth. The bigger issue and the bigger question for us is who could potentially be with me at that time, but we are planning for hospital care. I'm still keeping up with my OB through my practice, through virtual visits, and through very limited in-person visits for things like follow-up. So I have an ultrasound coming up and a blood test coming up that I need to go into the hospital for. And I'm making sure to coordinate it so everything happens on the same day. You've had two kids before, and so obviously you've been through the process uh, without a pandemic happening around you. How has your prenatal care uh, been different this time around, especially in the last month or month and a half? Yeah, that's a great question. So I was much younger when I had my two children that I have. So I have two daughters. I was not considered a higher risk pregnancy at that time. Um, And I had sort of the complete prenatal care package at that time. So all of the four-week visits and then the two-week visits and the ultrasounds and everything was kind of happening on target. For this one, I'm considered higher risk because of my age, but I have been able to maintain my blood pressure and blood sugars in the appropriate range. So they have pushed back on a lot of my in-person prenatal care since the COVID-19 crisis and a lot of the, the social distancing measures. So essentially a lot of the recommendations are to limit in-person visits So ACOG, again, that society we mentioned, says that it it may be ideal to just have in-person visits at 12 weeks, 20 weeks, 28 weeks, and then 36 weeks. 
which is kind of what my OB has been sticking to and everything else is being done virtually. And then they're only asking us to come in if we need to um, have a blood test or an ultrasound done. And particularly, they are preferring virtual visits if you have the capability of doing blood pressure checks at home. That's really the main reason that they bring a lot of people in for the routine OB appointments is to check for growth and to check your blood pressure. Okay. You could probably weigh yourself at home also, but no urine tests, no anything else, just mainly keeping an eye on those basic, you know, numbers. That's right. So yeah. So, and, and then it's really kind of thinking about, am I having headaches? Am I having swelling? Am I having pain anywhere? Head, you know, changes in my vision. Those are all things that I would have to call my OB for immediately. Right. And lots of FaceTime with your, with your doctor. Well, not lots, but <laughs> That's every once yes. in a while. Got it. Wow. That is really different. Um, that's certainly big change from, like you were mentioning, those regular visits that so many women are accustomed to having when they are having prenatal care. So if you do have COVID-19, whether you've tested positive or you haven't had a test, can the virus pass from a mother to a baby in the womb? So great question. A lot of the early data coming out of China that we saw was suggesting that we could be somewhat reassured around that. So they weren't finding any virus in amniotic fluid, nothing in breast milk. When they tested newborns, they tested their throat swabs. They were negative for virus. So all of that was pretty reassuring at that time. Now, those were very limited and small studies small number of pregnant patients and small number of new newborns. Now there's some newer data that has been recently sort of published in some journals that show that there is some potential for spread in the blood to the newborn because what they found was not only did these newborns have some antibodies, IgG antibodies, which typically do pass from mother to baby in the womb, but they had other types of antibodies that are much larger and don't transfer from through the placenta from mom to newborn. And those were present in the baby's blood. So that is somewhat suggestive that there could be some transfer going on. Now, we don't know what that means. So far, I'm still pretty reassured by the data that we're not at really high risk for hurting um, babies that are in the womb, but there is some risk for transmission there. Okay, that's interesting. Um, I, it's probably not routine to test newborns in hospitals just for COVID-19, you know, no matter what. That's probably nothing that would necessarily happen after birth. I think that we're going to see more of that if you're positive during delivery, that we're going to be checking the newborn for whether or not they're also positive and if, what their antibody status is. Okay, that's interesting. It seems like the pandemic has just sort of taken a measure of control and certainty away from childbirth. I mean, like you and I mentioned before, there's obviously some, you know, there's, it can be hard to come by <laughs> uh, certainty and control when it comes to childbirth in a, even a typical situation. But this especially makes it feel a little more um, acute and it can be scary, I'm sure. So are there things that women can do to feel a little more prepared and in control right now? 
Yeah, so I have been talking to my partner about this a lot. Um, you know, I think it's really important to really talk about whatever your fears and anxieties are around this situation with somebody that you trust, um, just so that you can kind of troubleshoot, even if you can't prepare. So for us, I have no idea what that time period is gonna look like. We live in Atlanta, so here locally in terms of the hospital. My husband is a frontline worker who will be seeing COVID patients up until a few weeks before my due date. So, you know, we're not sure on what will happen with his um, exposure and his, his status as, you know, as it relates to becoming positive for COVID. Um, we know that we're going to have to keep him separate from the rest of the family when he's working in a few weeks after um, he's on the floor taking care of these patients. So that's one big uncertainty that we're facing. Um, and I think the other thing that is also, you know, a big stressor is that you, you like you said, you're never really going to be able to prepare for the delivery. Things change. There's a third sort of variable there. There's you, your partner, if you have one, and then the baby that's coming. So it really all depends on what um, the baby decides to do when they decide to come, what position they're in, if there's any sort of um, findings that the baby may need to be delivered faster or quicker um, than you expected. So a lot of these things can change. So I think around the birth plan, we are talking through just our feelings and just our, our concerns, but really very flexible about what it means to actually have the delivery. A lot of our planning is kind of around the what happens after, and that's been helping us stay calm. So it's really just, okay, do we have the crib set up? Do we have the car seat that we need to come home? Um, who's going to help with middle of the night feedings? All of these things, kind of planning that out has been somewhat helpful. That's good. Thinking about really the things that you definitely do have control over <laughs> uh, even before and, and during as well. Wow. Well, gosh, we really wish the best of luck to you guys. That's certainly a nerve wracking situation for you and, and your husband. So thank um, you. I wanted to shift a little bit to talk about the early day, you know, the early hours, early days after your baby is born. If you have COVID-19, even if you're just, um, you know, have a mild case and you're not very sick, will you be able to hold your baby after they're born or will you need to be separate from your baby? Yeah, so the CDC and the American Academy of Pediat Pediatricians actually have some thoughts on this. So they really think that it should be a joint decision between the mother and the healthcare team to kind of look at what the symptoms are, how sick is she, before deciding whether to kind of room with the baby or separate the baby. So it's really not going to be a decision that's taken out of your hands. So I think women should be reassured about that. And I think that the next piece is the breastfeeding piece. Um, breastfeeding can be so important when it comes to protecting the newborn from infections. So if it's possible to breastfeed that may be, you know, for me personally, that would be my ideal situation where if, if even if I test positive, I would want to take all of the precautions. So wear a face mask, wash my hands, really ensure that I, I do the best that I can to avoid infecting my newborn, but I would want to nurse 
my baby. The other option is if it does come to a situation where you do have to be separate, you can pump and then somebody else can feed your newborn your breast milk if, if that's a possibility for you. Can the virus pass to a baby through breast milk? So far, there is no indication that the virus is found in breast milk. Okay, well, that's reassuring. A lot of hospitals have implemented new policies about who can be with a pregnant woman during childbirth. You know, they want to limit uh, certainly the number of people who are there, but also make sure that everyone is, is healthy. But what can women do to prepare if their partner or their doula or the person that they plan to be there can't be? There are definitely some hospitals that are getting very strict about it. So if you're in a situation where the hospital that you're at is really limiting um, the person that can come in to assist you or to help you, um, in some places, if that person is sick or you know showing symptoms, they won't let that person in. So just to kind of be prepared for how you may manage this with a virtual partner, I think would also be important to think about. You know, I mentioned that my husband may not be with me and in the previous pregnancies, I've had my mother there as well, which, you know, at this point would not be a possibility given the restrictions. Okay. I think I've even heard of, you know, women who might've used a doula uh, as a delivery partner. I've heard of doulas doing like teleconferencing in during the birth. So something like that could be an option as well. Absolutely. Yes. There is, there's not going to be a limit to who you can be with you virtually. So I think thinking about that um, may also be sort of helpful and, and decrease anxiety around the actual birth. I almost wonder if you could have, like, say you're, you go to the hospital and your partner tests positive, you know, without knowing that, that they were sick could you have like a backup person call them and, you know, be like, Hey, this, you know, my partner can't be with me. So, so you come instead. I don't know if that's an option, but. You know, I think, yes, absolutely. Again, this is such a stressful situation for a lot of people. And I know a lot of people have now been social distancing for a while. So if you have a trusted other family member that, has been staying, has been following all the recommendations, has been social distancing, has not put themselves in a situation where there's a concern that they could be infected and they have no symptoms during the time of your delivery. That's some, somebody that you can definitely think about leaning on if your partner or the person you expected to be with you can't be with you. Okay. Maybe have a, a couple of people on the bench and ready to call them in if you need them. <laughs> I absolutely wanted to put in a sports analogy there somewhere, but I couldn't think of the right one. But you're right. Yes. It's, the one I used is probably not right either, but that's fine. <laughs> we get the <laughs> Yes. <laughs> How are hospitals reducing the risk uh, to newborns of coronavirus? And how quickly could you leave the hospital after giving birth if you really just didn't want to be there very long? A lot of this depends on, you know, how your delivery went. If you had no complications and your newborn was delivered vaginally um, and everybody, see, it seems healthy, no, the baby is not requiring intensive care, so NICU care, then the hope is that you can be discharged as soon as possible. So they really are trying to limit people's time in the hospital. So I think that it really kind of depends on the health of you and your baby, but do know that probably you are feeling the same way and the hospital staff is feeling the same way. 
everybody that is healthy enough to leave the hospital should do so as quickly as possible. A lot of things happen when you're in the hospital in terms of coordination before the COVID crisis. So lactation support, social support, setting up for other visits um, in the home. But realize that you could probably set a lot of this up virtually. So don't feel abandoned and don't feel like you are just not getting all of the care you need. Set, think about these things before you deliver. So talk to your OB and just say, you know, I'm really interested in lactation support. What is the, ver what is the number that I can call on my discharge so that I can be set up with that? I think I might need additional sort of support postpartum. What numbers can I call? And have that sort of list ready so that you don't feel like you're just being rushed out of the hospital without all of the information you need. That's a good point, uh, because so much happens um, after you have a baby while you're still in the hospital in terms of providing resources and counseling and, and asking those kinds of questions. So that's, uh, that's really a good thing to set up beforehand. But speaking of extra support, you know, the early days and weeks after birth are often when parents really lean on their support systems, whether it's grandparents or maybe a doula who comes for a postpartum visit or anybody, you know, friends bringing food, those kinds of things. And that support and connection can also be key in helping women avoid postpartum depression or anxiety, or if they have it, managing it during that time. Do you see that as a risk that requires even more attention given that new mothers really do need to stay isolated right now to protect their health and their baby's health? Yes, you are absolutely right to, to bring that up. You know, postpartum depression, I think people underestimate how prevalent that is. So there's a lot of data showing that one out of five women actually develop postpartum depression after pregnancy. And that can be ranging from mild to very severe postpartum depression. And I think it's definitely something that we should be thinking about before, again, delivery, because the fact that you don't have all of the social support, the social, the physical distancing really takes away not just the emotional support, but some of the other kinds of support, the people helping you with meals, the people helping you watch your other children, potentially having a place to kind of go to separate from other people that may be in your home. A lot of that gets limited with the current restrictions that a lot of us are living under. So Preparing for that is really important and realizing that there are a lot of uh, therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists have set up online um, care systems. They've set up phone care systems. So think about looking for those resources. There are apps that can help you sort of track your symptoms and make sure that you're doing okay and check in on you. Um, and then there's just a lot of the lifestyle things to think about. So you know, we don't think ahead of time about our own personal nutrition, our own personal exercise, sleep, and getting alone time after the baby comes. And once the baby's here, it's really hard to think about that. So if you can pre-plan and say, okay, every morning, somebody, my partner or my child or somebody is going to help me make a smoothie so that I have that. I'm going to have a cup of water with me wherever I'm sitting with the newborn. So I'm prepared with that. And then I'm going to take a walk every day, you know, with the baby outside or without the baby outside at this particular time. That can really help you 
with the postpartum symptoms. And then if you do end up kind of feeling like you are in crisis, there are crisis hotlines that you certainly should reach out to. That's great. And hopefully your doctor or your hospital could be, or a doula or whomever could be a good resource for recommending virtual things that you could lean on right now. Yes, absolutely. There, there's something that I find really helpful, which is called Centering Pregnancy. So Centering Pregnancy has a lot of resources and they're transferring a lot of their online um, and it's evidence-based. It's really a lot of social support and other things that help you before you deliver. And then there's Centering Parenthood that helps you after your delivery. Again, social support, um, small groups, um, and I think people that are together for a a long period of time. So it's not different people every time. Um, So I think those resources can certainly be helpful. That's great. That's really good to know. How does you know, medical, there's medical care that happens for both mom and certainly for the baby after the baby is born. Uh, but how is that different now? You know, we've talked obviously about telemedicine and being able to do virtual check-ins with a doctor just to cut down on the number of visits to a clinic. But it seems like there are some things like, uh, you know, baby's first vaccines that really need to be done in person. So, so what are those, what is that early care like now? Yeah, like you've mentioned, a lot of it is moving toward virtual care. So uh, you can do postpartum visits virtually. That's what ACOG is is recommending. Um, At my OB clinic, they have um, an option for an in-home visit with a nurse that's now being transitioned to um, virtual telephone care as well. So that's kind of in the early days. Um, also connecting with a pediatrician. Our pediatrician is is going to have some virtual appointments um, in the immediate postpartum timeframe. But I would say vaccines are the most important reason to go for an in-person visit. And pediatricians' offices are also stressing that. This is not the time to delay on a vaccine. That is not elective care. That is absolutely important care that that is essential for the health of your baby particularly when there's this virus the covid that we're very concerned about you really want to be protecting yourself and your baby from other viruses as well and other illnesses so uh, very important to go for vaccinations and i would add something that we didn't talk about in your third trimester when you're pregnant the Tdap, the tetanus um, pertussis um, vaccine is is very important. That protects your baby from whooping cough. Um, So it's very important to go in and to have that, um, to make sure you get that vaccine when you are in for a physical visit. And hopefully a pediatrician's office would, they will certainly have protocols in place to, you know, be sure everyone is as healthy and safe as possible when you go in for those visits. Right. I mean, they are really, this is bringing out a lot of innovation in different people's offices. I've heard of pediatricians that are doing sort of a drive-through clinic. So if you're coming for a well baby visit for vaccinations, you can pull up in your car, the staff will give you the vaccines that you need, and then you can be on your way without even coming into the office. So a lot of offices are doing a lot of innovative things to protect patients and, and certainly newborns. 
I want to switch a little bit to talking about parenting. You are, you have two daughters, uh, as you mentioned. Parenting is a bit of a challenge for a lot of people right now. Everyone is home all the time, and that is a lot of togetherness. Um, what are some of the things that you personally have found helpful, whether it's things that you've let go of or things that you've needed to spend more time on when it comes to your kids? Oh, this is a very good question. And I will be completely honest with you. Probably the, the, the most stressful part of the day is, is trying to make sure that the children are happy and comfortable with being stuck in the house for most of the day and trying to homeschool them while trying to work full time. So I think that for me, that's been certainly one of the, the biggest stressors. And what I've had to do a lot is let go. There is no way that I'm going to be the perfect teacher. I'm, I, I can... I already know I'm not going to be able to keep up with all of their schoolwork. And my children are in kindergarten and third grade, so they need a lot of hands-on attention. They can't really self-direct at this point. So it's just recognizing that there are a lot of areas that I'm going to have to let go. I'm not going to be perfect at some of these things. And then trying to find alone time. So I want to be around for my children. This is more time than I've spent with them in a long time. Um, <laughs> the blessing and a curse. <laughs> it's a bless, that's right. And so I, I do appreciate that. And I definitely see their anxiety levels from what they were experiencing before when they were going off to school and, and potentially hearing news about coronavirus through their friends and, and just kind of getting all kinds of information. Now that they're home with us, they're anxiety levels are just different. They're not asking a lot of those questions anymore. They're just kind of into their own new routine. Um, so in that way, it's been the blessing part of what you talked about. Um, but certainly like finding time to get away and be on my own and take a walk alone has been, has been very important for my own sort of mental health. You know, things like that that do a lot of things in one package are really helpful. So walking is giving me time alone. It's giving me exercise. It's giving me stress relief. And particularly with the weather being so nice, it's just, it adds so much to my day. So things, little packages like that um, added to your day can certainly be very helpful. And you mentioned uh, homeschooling or crisis schooling. I think a lot of people are calling it, which is obviously affecting a lot of families right now. When this isn't your skill set at all, uh, you know, most most folks are not teachers by trade. How do you even begin to try to handle that? Um, you know, especially when, like your, like you said, for your kids, they need a lot of hands-on help with their schoolwork. Yeah, this has been a very iterative process for us with our routines <laughs> changing weekly. Um, I think that, that just realizing that, I think I, I went into this really being like, okay, we've made our schedule. I worked with them, with the kids to create their own schedules. And what I was finding was that when we couldn't stick to it, it, it caused me a lot of stress. And now I've let go of, of that. We have general items that we need to complete for the day. All of the schoolwork that's been assigned has to be completed. Um, we would like to do some reading every day, so that has to be completed. But 
we also need to have time to go out as a family together. So as long as we accomplish those things, we're okay. Um, and the timing doesn't matter as much. And I am not really super focused on making sure that they get every question exactly right. It's really just, are they putting in the effort and are they completing the work that has to be done? And then we can enjoy each other. How are you doing with screen time? I know a lot of parents are finding that uh, they are leaning on that more and more these days. Is that something you're finding too? Oh, goodness. Again, always a work in progress with us. Yeah, you know, it, it goes through phases. They um, spent a lot of time on the screens in the beginning when we were working and we couldn't really pay attention to what they were doing for for their schoolwork. Now they know that there's a certain expectation for how we go through the rhythm of the day. And we have certain days that are just no screen days. And they just know that at this point. So we, we just don't even, that never comes up. Um, and then there's certain other days where we're just overwhelmed and we give them the remote and <laughs> they can have at it. And you, so, go, on your, you go on your merry way. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> we were pretty, uh, with my daughter, we were pretty um, rid, rigid, rigid before about not watching any, you know, no YouTube, no TV, no anything like that. But we've, we've relaxed that a little bit in the last couple of weeks, I would say. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. Yeah, and I think it's, it's totally appropriate to put limits on what the content is that they're watching. So if there's certain shows or certain things that you think are just inappropriate or off limits, that's fine. But we've kind of, I think it's fine to say to them, no, this is a hard no. But in terms of the time spent, we're, we're much more sort of flexible around that. How much do you think children understand about what's going on right now? Maybe more than we think. Um, you know, are they anxious about it? Or are they mostly just kind of picking, on, picking up on whatever the adults in their lives are feeling right now? I'm sure it's different for every child too, but. Yeah, and I think you're right. They pick up a lot more than we know. Before the they were home with us, they were coming home every day, both my kindergartner and my third grader, telling me the number of cases that were currently, you know, worldwide that people knew about. They were telling me a lot of things about the coronavirus. It was causing a lot of sort of nervousness and anxiety, and, and they were definitely verbalizing that. Um, so they, which was a surprise to me. I did not expect them to all sort of really be talking about this so much. So I think that there's definitely a layer of that. Um, I think the good news, as we talked about, of being able to spend more time with them is to really model behavior for them to show that, you know, things are different. We have to do things to protect ourselves and to protect others. We have a responsibility to people in our community um, as well. Um, but we don't have to be so anxious about it or feel so out of control about it. And I think that that has helped them so much, sort of creating a new rhythm to our lives and just really being there for them more than we've been there in the past has been so helpful. And I've certainly noticed just a lessening of their, their talk about the virus and about about why, you know, dad has to go to the hospital. They're just happy that he's going to help people, which is different than the conversations we were having before we had this much time with them. 
That's so interesting for for you guys specifically, since both you and and your husband are doctors. So it's you know it's it's definitely ever present on their you know in their world. It's you know even of course they're not going to school right now, but you know they're still you guys still have to go do your jobs too. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And I think that um, they. I've been really pleasantly surprised by how they have sort of processed this information. Processed that there are people that are getting very sick, um, and that there are people. Some people who have a responsibility to go help those people, um, and really we just have to do the best we can to keep ourselves healthy. And so they're really just hand-washing experts at this point. Like I don't have to tell them when we come in, they immediately come in, wash their hands. When we're outside, they talk about how they're not going to touch their faces. It's just really been very interesting to watch. Wow. That's great. (laughs) That's a win that you can take away from this whole situation. I would say. That's right. Dr. Neha Pathak, thank you so much for talking with us today. And uh, we really wish you the best of luck with everything in the next month and a half. And can't wait to see pictures of the new little one, too. Thank you so much for having me. Now, our tweak of the week. Stop pressuring yourself to be productive. The internet is full of ideas right now about all the ways you can spend the, quote, free time you have while staying home. It's easy to think of this as a time when you should be baking bread, learning a new language, cleaning out closets, or getting in the best shape of your life. But don't forget that you're already doing a lot right now, protecting your health and your family's health, worrying about neighbors and friends, working at home or coping with a job loss, or trying to keep kids engaged and happy. Forget about all the things you, quote, should be doing, unless you truly want to do them. Instead, think of this as a time to go a little easier on yourself. In such a strange and unsettling time, it's enough to do what you can to take care of yourself and your family and protect the health of your community by staying at home. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks so much for joining us. One more thing before we go, though. Please make sure you've subscribed to our show so you don't miss any of our great episodes. And just a reminder that you can keep up with WebMD's coverage on coronavirus and all things health and wellness on our social channels, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hope you'll join us next time. (music) 